Good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday. One second, I'm just getting set up. All right, good morning. Sorry about that. Um, happy re- again, happy Resurrection Sunday. Um, this morning, we're going to look at a passage from the book of Philippians, chapter 3. And we're going to touch on most of the chapter, but um, really focus on verse verses 7 through 11. Uh, one reason I picked this passage is because this passage is an important commentary on the Christian life. It get, Paul is giving us an example of his own life and his own passions for Christ. And he shows us how to live our perspective of life, the relationship between law and grace. Uh, and I've been personally challenged by this whole concept of law and grace and how do we view Christ now that we are believers. And I think this, this passage really helps us understand that this morning. Uh, one thir- thing before we jump in is that this passage uses a lot of repetition. This, sometimes Paul uses different arguments and he jumps around and he uses one phrase and then he'll explain something else and then he'll jump da- back to that phrase and then he'll explain something else and then he'll jump to a p- another phrase and then he'll keeps jumping around. And so this passage is one of those passages where Paul repeats himself a lot. So if I repeat myself a lot, it is because not myself, I mean, I want you to understand too, but it's because Paul wants you to understand the main point that he's driving home. Um, so with that in mind, Philippians 3, let's go ahead and I'm going to read the whole passage, starting in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3. Verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings 
becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this, or that I am already perfect, but that I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me in imitating me, keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory, they glory in their shame. With mind set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for a day that the church has set aside to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to celebrate the the acts of redemption that you have accomplished for us. And so we come here this morning rejoicing in the hope that we have in Christ. And I pray that your spirit would come, be powerful this morning, work through your word to change our lives, to convict our hearts of sin, cause us to repent, and cling only to Jesus Christ as our Savior. So work among us this morning for your glory. In the power of your Son's name we pray. Amen. So the passage I want to focus on, um, it starts in verse 7. In verse 7, Paul says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The passage opens up with whatever gain he had. And in the context, if you look back to the preceding two verses, what is the gain that Paul had? The gain that Paul had is that according to an Israelite, he was the best. He was the best. He had all the characteristics. He was from the right tribe. He was in the right religious group. He, his parents did the right thing and raised him the right way. He kept the law. Paul had everything going for him according to human standards. And yet, Paul says he counted this as loss for the sake of Christ. As we start, we're going to develop this thought a little more as we continue on. But just to ask a few questions, what do you hold as gain? What do you find your worth in? Again, for Paul's context, it was the Old Testament law. Paul found his worth and identity and hope in his ability to keep the law, 
what is it? What do you find gain? What do you hold on to as your hope? You know, we all struggle with the law, whether it is God's law that we know and we know that we ought to be giving money. We know that we ought to be going to church. We know that we ought to be loving our neighbor. And we're convicted by this law. But the question is, how do you respond to this law? As you find yourself guilty, what do you do? Hopefully we'll answer some of these questions this morning and draw them out in the text. Paul says, whatever gain I had, I found as loss. Reminds me of what they said about Luther, is that Luther said, if any monk could be saved by his monkery, I would be me. If any monk could be saved by his monkery, that would be me. Before Martin Luther came to Christ, he was a monk. And he kept the law. And if anyone could be saved by his work, Luther said it could be him. But as he was reading through the book of Romans, he came across a verse that says, you're justified by faith and not by works. So we have Luther and Paul, who once had a confidence in their flesh. They had a confidence in their ability to do things. Found themselves coming in contact with Jesus Christ. And when they came in contact with Jesus Christ, they came in contact with God's standards of righteousness, true righteousness. And they saw that they did not measure up to that standard. They had to fall at the feet of Jesus Christ and recognize that he alone is worthy of worship. And so Paul and Luther and I hope all of us, as we come in contact with Jesus Christ, must recognize our own sin. And we must fall down at the feet of Christ. Recognizing that we have no good in ourselves. We cannot attain anything. It is only in Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, how do you evaluate your life? Is your life evaluated by what you do? Is your life, your spiritual life, evaluated by the fact that you read God's word every day? that you spend time in prayer. Those are very good things to do, and I highly recommend them. Or do you evaluate your life not based upon your activity, but based upon God's grace that he has given to you through his son? You see, this is what Paul recognized, Paul came to in his life. And his response is, all of these things I had gained, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The old law, the thi- old things mean nothing compared to the worth and the value that he has found in Jesus Christ. See, Paul gave up everything to serve Christ because he found Christ worthy. Do you find Christ worthy? As we're thinking of Christ being worthy, I, I'm thinking of a parable in Matthew where a man finds a pearl. And what does he do? Well, it's a great big pearl, a very big pearl, a great big pearl. And what does he do? He sells everything, his house, his car. He sells everything for this pearl because he found it so valuable. Do you find Christ that valuable? 
We all know that we do things and give stuff to the things that we find worthy. You love your wife, so you go and you buy her flowers. Just something simple. But it shows her that you value her. We all know that we do things to gain something that we value. So do you value Christ? Or do you value your own activities, your own works, your own doings? Paul continues in verse 8 and says, Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing, sur- surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Sounds kind of similar. Paul repeating himself again. But he does more this time. It's he expands a little more, and he says, indeed, intensifying more than that, more than just the law, Paul counts everything as loss. Not just his works, but everything in this life. And we know that if, if we look at the life of Paul, he gave up everything. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was killed for the sake of Christ. He gave up everything for the sake of Christ. He gave up his comfortable position as a Pharisee. He gave up his comfortable home in Israel to be stuck on prison floors, Roman prison floors, with rats running around and probably didn't have much food or clothing. Paul gave everything for the sake of Christ. And he did this because he found Christ as surpassingly worth it. He saw nothing else standing in comparison to the worth of Christ, but laid it all down. So what is of surpassing worth to you? Again, is it, is it Jesus Christ? Is it him crucified and risen again as we celebrate? What was of surpassing worth to Paul was at the end of verse he says, knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. That Paul gave everything to know Jesus Christ. He gave everything for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Well, what does it look like? What does it look like to give everything for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ? Paul continues and says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. See, the things that he used to find value in, he no longer finds valuable. The law that he found so valuable and kept on a daily basis, a moment-by-moment basis, he used to found value in. That that no longer matters. He suffered them loss. Not only did he suffer them loss, like a debt that was added to him because he kept the law, but he also counted them as rubbish. In other words, we need to ask ourselves, do I I find as much value in the law or my activities as I do in the trash or sewage that goes down the drain? Because that's, in effect, what Paul is drawing the contrast with. He's saying that Christ is so worthy that all these other things They are like sewage. And it reminds me of in Jerusalem, they had a dung gate. And they didn't have plumbing, so in the houses they would use a bucket in the corner, 
and when it got full, you would take it to the dung gate and you would dump it. And so it was their sewage system was how to get all of the waste out of the city through the dung gate. And Paul is saying that all of his works are considered as dung. And yet I find it interesting how often that myself included go to that dung gate and we start playing like it's sand. Because that's really in effect what our, our works are. They can accomplish nothing. They only get us grossly filthy. And yet we return again and again to play there. So I ask again, how do you, how do you evaluate your life? How do you evaluate at the end of the day when you lay down your, on your head on your pillow? Was your day good because you accomplished a lot? Was your day good because you loved your wife? Yeah, your work day was nice. Um, your kids weren't complaining or picking on each other. Or you were able to read your Bible that day for 15 minutes. How do you evaluate your day? Because that drives to the heart of the issue and determines if you really value Christ. Is your life evaluated based upon your faithfulness or God's faithfulness to you through his son? What is your life devoted to? Is it Jesus Christ? And so Paul suffered all things as loss. He counted them as rubbish. And we need to see these next few words because they're very important. In order, in order, this is the goal. This is why he counted them as rubbish. This is why they were counted as lost. It's so that he might gain Christ. You see, before, whatever, in verse 7 it says, whatever things he had gained, he, before he gained the law, he gained his works, he gained a human righteousness. But these things are lost so that he could gain Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that our sin was given for Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ gave us his righteousness and we gave us his our, he gave us our sin. And on the cross that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin and gave us his righteousness. And that's not fair but that's grace. That is the beauty of what God has done through Jesus Christ. Is that he would take us who play in that dung gate all the time and would come and rescue us. That he would take on the wrath of God, the wrath that we deserve for our sin. And that he would take that away because we have nothing to offer but our sin yet God is so gracious and so faithful to his promises but you see our problem is that we don't, often don't see Christ as worthy and so in attempt of self redemption we give up everything else instead of say, or we give up Christ for everything else an attempt to self-redeem ourselves because we feel the void, we feel the hole. So in, in an attempt to resolve that guiltiness, we apply more law. 
and we give up Christ for the law. It reminds me of Genesis 3, the beginning of the world. You had Adam and Eve in the garden. And God said, don't eat from the tree. And what did they do? They, they ate from the tree. And their response is that they knew that they had sinned. They knew they were naked. And they tried to redeem themselves by creating a suit of fig leaves for themselves. So they tried to redeem themselves apart from God. And so often I find that's what we do. Is we recognize that we're sinners. We recognize that we have sinned. And so what do we do? We hide behind our suit of fig leaves to make it look like we're really okay. But we must look to Jesus Christ and give up all of these things in order to gain him. And as Paul continues, as we gain Christ, we will also be found in him. And what Paul is driving at here is that there is an identity change. That we used to be identified as law keepers. Now we are identified as grace recipients. That we used to be under wrath, but now in Christ we are under grace. That we used to be unrighteous, but now we have received the righteousness of Christ. You see, we are not just people who play in the dung gate, but we are orphans who play in the dung gate. We have no home. We have no parents. And yet Jesus Christ paid the penalty so that we could go home with God. So that we could be called a son and a daughter. And we were taken from our old identity and given a new identity in Jesus Christ and we are found in him. So where do you make your home? Are you in God's family? Or do you make your home alone in that dung gate? Or where are you hiding? The only safe place to hide is in Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to gain Christ and be found in him? And Paul continues to explain this and says, being, gaining Christ and being found in him is not having a righteousness that comes from himself. You see, we, again, we have no righteousness on our own according to the law. Again, Paul had a list of lawful obediences. We create lists of lawful obediences, things that we need to do in order to have a right standing with God. We often hear people say, and may have even said ourselves, well, my good outweighs my bad. And when I come into heaven, well, God's going to look at all the good things that I did, and it's going to outweigh the bad. But here, Paul says that there is none righteous. None. There's no one. You can do nothing before God to earn his favor. Absolutely nothing. Unless we look to Jesus Christ. Is Christ worthy of all of these law things that we keep? Again, our problem is our pride or self-redemption or self-glory. Our, our attempts of self-salvation, again, are merely creating a suit of fig leaves to hide behind. 
They make us look good to each other, and often we marvel at each other's craftsmanship. But before God, unless we are clothed with Jesus Christ, we are still naked, and we are still guilty. See, what I find so interesting is that we often marvel at the fig leaves we create, both ourselves and of others. And we compliment each other on our fig leaves, such as giving a false hope at work. You know, I work at Target. Christmas time is very busy. Often we count down the days till Christmas is over because stress dies down after Christmas. And so the hope that people give each other during Christmas time is, well, 10 days left, 7 days left, 5 days left. And that is the hope, is that Christmas will be over because life will get back to normal. And yet so often I find that we give each other false hopes like that. It'll be okay. God's there for you. I'll be praying for you. But we don't really ever address the issues, the heart issues that are really going on. We don't address the fact that we're trying to keep a law or find salvation in something other than Jesus Christ. And so we encourage each other in our fig leaves rather than the ultimate encouragement, which is, <laughs> dude, you're a sinner and you need Christ. Because that's the ultimate thing that we need to hear. And if not, all we're doing is just complimenting each other's fig leaves and how well we can hide from God. But you see that God has created the standard, and it is righteousness, which is perfect obedience to the law. You know, a few minutes ago I said that we often say that you know, my good works will outweigh the bad, but God's standard is perfection. It's not 54, 66, no, 46. <laughs> yeah, new math. It's the, he doesn't weigh out what the, the difference is, it's either all or nothing. And the Bible clearly declares from Genesis 3 all the way to the very end that we have nothing to offer but our sin. Nothing to offer but our sin because it is God's standard. We all know that we need a Savior. We feel the guilt within us, and yet what do we do? We try to fill the void with other things. We eat or we watch TV or we go do our favorite activities to try to fill the void of the redemption that we know that we need that only Jesus Christ can provide the answer for. But you see, we are hopeless without Jesus Christ. There's none righteous. And Paul, nor us, having a righteousness that comes from our own, that comes from the law. But, but, yes, I suck. But that which comes through faith in Christ. See, the only righteousness that we could ever have is that righteousness which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. See, faith is only as strong as its object. So we can have a faith in the law, the faith in our ability, but really in reality, there's no strength there. Our faith must be in Jesus Christ 
and in his righteousness and his ability to provide because he is all-powerful. He is in control of everything, sovereignly ordaining everything. We need to trust in him. We need to repent of our pride, repent of our own glory, our own self-redemptive efforts, and cling only to Jesus Christ. Again, as I've been saying, there is no righteousness in us. Christ alone is our righteousness in our hope. It is through his substitutionary atonement which takes our sin for us. Through his death and through his resurrection that he accomplished redemption and applied it to us through faith. See, this is the righteousness of God that depends on faith. See, there is no, again, there is no righteousness coming from the law. So I must ask, again, where do we find your righteousness? Is your righteousness found in your own works? Or is it believing in Christ alone? In Christ alone as the Messiah? And depending upon Christ's righteousness, both his righteousness and his ability to perfectly keep the laws, he came as incarnate, as a human. He came and he lived perfectly to God's standard. And he was active in this obedience, accomplishing what we could not. But he was also obedient, undertaking the punishment for the law for us. And so it's only Jesus Christ as the perfect God-man who is our righteousness, who is our hope, who is our hope of redemption. See, faith is not something that we can conjure up, but it's something that God has given to us. And this belief, which is a supernatural response to God's redemption, results in a changed life. See, faith is the evidence of already being united with Christ in his resurrection and his death, which results in obedience. You see, our obedience is a response to God's love. It is not to gain anything. It is not to gain Redemption is not to gain salvation, it's not to gain heaven, it's not to gain God. If we have been broken by our sin and cling to Christ alone as our Redeemer and as our hope, our response through faith is that we want to live for him. Again, as we said in the beginning, that we, we the things we find valuable, we give our lives to. We don't think of it as a law. I mentioned giving flowers to your wife. That's not every first Tuesday of the month that I have to give flowers to my wife in order to show her that I love her. You do it randomly because you want to show her you care. You give yourself to that because you find her valuable. Do you find Christ that valuable that you are just consumed with wanting to live for him, wanting to serve him, wanting to show forth his greatness? 
see, I find those are very two different things. Keeping the law or responding out of love. But Paul continues, and and we must ask as we continue to look at the passage, why suffer loss for the sake of Christ? Why do it? In verse 10, Paul says, he suffers loss for the sake of Christ that he may know him. That he may know him in the power of his resurrection, that he may fellowship in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that he may by any means possible attain the resurrection for the dead. See, Paul gives up everything, his works, his pride, in order to know Christ. But what, what specifically does Paul want to know? He wants to know the gospel. He wants to know what it means to be united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. He wants to know the greatness of his sin, but an even greater Savior that would come and rescue him from that, the depths of his sin. He wants to understand more and more that his works cannot save him. And he wants to understand more and more the worthiness of his Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, our hope is in Christ alone and his redemptive work, and that is what Paul wants to know. Two specific aspects that he wants to know. First is that he wants to know the power of the resurrection. There's a lot of things we could say here, especially being Easter Sunday, but I just want to point out two things. That the power of the resurrection means that there is a victory that Jesus Christ has accomplished. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Death, where is your sting? Because Jesus Christ has died, death has been abolished. And I don't want to make this impersonal and think, oh yeah, death and sin have been abolished and all of its effects and the resurrection. I want to make this personal. That if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that your sin, then your death, has been taken away. And this victory is your victory. And that, my friends, is the power of the resurrection. It is the victory over death. And this victory over death results in life. It is Christ's righteousness being given to you, the Holy Spirit coming in and, and it changing your heart and giving you a heart a new heart, full of life, to be able to live for him. Again, not to gain anything, but because you want to love Christ as great Savior, as you recognize the greatness of your sin, recognizing the beauty and worth of a Savior who would come, leave his heavenly throne, and die on the cross for you. Not only does Paul want to know the power of the resurrection, he also wants to know the fellowship of his sufferings. He wants to know that he he has died to sin, that sin and all of its effects are dead. He wants to know that his flesh no longer has a power over him, that the law no longer has its grip on him, that he cannot live up to the righteousness standard of God. We see, in Christ's suffering, God's wrath that was for us was poured out in Jesus Christ. And he drank the cup of God's wrath for us. And so Paul gives up everything because he finds worth in Christ. 
because he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And the result of this, of knowing this salvation, is what Paul drives into next. He says, knowing the power of the resurrection, knowing the fellowship of his sufferings, I want to become like him in his death that I may receive, may by any means possible attain the resurrection from the dead. That Paul wants to, because of the beauty and worth of Christ, what does he do? He wants to become like Christ in his death. I struggled with this, understanding this concept at first, but I think Colossians 3 will help us understand. So if you want to turn over there, you can. I'm going to read the first few verses. Uh, but Colossians 3, one. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming, and once you too once walked, and when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. So what is Paul driving at in Philippians when he wants to become like Christ in his death? I believe that what Paul is driving at in becoming like Christ in his death is fighting against the effects of sin in his life. You see, Paul knows Christ. He knows the power of redemption. He knows that his sins have been forgiven. But we are not yet with God in glory. And you know what? We all struggle with sin. And so what Paul wants to do is he wants to respond to the truth and the hope of the gospel and say, this is who I am. I have found in Christ. This is my identity. My confidence is in Jesus Christ. But yet, as he says in Romans 7, so often he finds himself doing the very things that he doesn't want to do. And so what is his response? Well, I need to put to death the deeds of the flesh in order to gain Christ. And I think that's what Paul is driving at. Paul isn't trying to earn Christ by putting himself in suffering. He is responding to the love that Christ has shown to him. And this is a battle for our hearts and our minds. See, our actions reflect what we think and what we believe. And so we must ask ourselves, what do I really think? What do I really believe? Because if I'm knowing Jesus Christ, then I'm going to put to death the deeds of the flesh. But the contrast is given later in the passage when Paul says that often I've told of you in verse 18, often I've told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly. 
They, w- they glory in their shame with their mind set on earthly things. And so again, you can say I'm a, I'm a good person, but is your mind set on earthly things or is your mind set on Jesus Christ and him crucified and him resurrected? And is your response to that putting to death the deeds of the flesh because of the unity we have in Christ and the redemption that he has accomplished? Something to ask ourselves to kind of drive to this point is, why do I do what I do? Why do I do what I do? Do I get up early to read God's word because I really want to know Jesus Christ as my Savior? Because I'm finding that I'm counting all things as lost, including that 15 minutes of lost sleep? Or am I getting up early because I know it's the thing I need to do? And it's the thing that I need to check off the list. Or why do I come to church? Do I come to church because it's the thing to do? I like the messages. It makes me feel good. It's the thing to do. Check it off. Keep in the law. Or do you come because, again, like Paul, you, you really want to know Jesus Christ. You want to fellowship with the people who know Jesus Christ. You want to talk about it. You want to hear and sing about Jesus Christ. You want to sing about the power of the resurrection. You want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Why do you do what you do? So as we've looked at our justification that Christ has come and he has taken care of our sin problem, he has united us with himself and he has called us to live for him, becoming like him in his death, we also look forward to the future resurrection. And in verse 11, (coughs) Paul says that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That by any means possible is a cry of desperation, not of helpless desperation, but of someone striving to reach a goal or a prize. Reminds me of the Second Timothy study we've been going through. The past few weeks we've been looking at Second Timothy chapter 2 and there's three different metaphors that Paul uses, each going through hardship. Why? Because they're looking forward to the goal. There's a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, and each are enduring hardship. And I would say that this, by any means possible, is like a soldier who's been fighting for eight hours and the battle's still going on. And he's like, man, just by any means possible, if we can just win this. By any means possible. Or it's an athlete like Steve this morning running and he gets to mile 21. He's like, by any means possible, if I can just get to the end. Just want to get to the end. Or a farmer whose equipment breaks down and he has to spend all night fixing the tractor and it's 3 a.m. in the morning and he's like, by any means possible, if I can just fix this so tomorrow I can go out and plant my crop. And that's the kind of attitude that I believe Paul is having here. It's one that is striving to reach the goal, striving to reach the prize. And I think that's evident by the next paragraph. Because Paul says, not that I have obtained this already, not that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, 
because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead, I press on to the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. That's the very idea of by any means possible, just longing to be with Christ. Longing to know him and be with him forever. Because we have been set free. We have experienced the power of redemption now, but we are not yet with Christ. And here Paul is longing for that day when the power of the resurrection will be made complete and perfect and we will no longer struggle with our sin. We will no longer struggle with the law trying to obtain our own self-righteousness. But we will be with Christ, made perfect, no longer constrained under these bodies of sin and death. You see, for Paul, his glory is Jesus Christ and his redemptive work accomplished and applied. And his goal is to gain Christ more and more, both now in pursuing knowledge of him and for all eternity. So as we come to a close in this passage, there are two dangers that I want to address as we close. The first danger is knowledge without action. That is, you know Jesus Christ, you know the truth, you know the facts. But unlike Paul, these facts make no difference for you. They don't change your life. They don't, cannot be characterized of you as pressing towards the goal. By any means possible, I may attain a resurrection from the dead. Running towards that finish line, no matter how tired and how suffered you are. There's also another danger of actions without knowing Christ. And that we all so often live in this without even thinking about who Jesus Christ is. And our actions become our standards and become our own self-righteousness. And both things deny Jesus Christ of his glory. Both things are what Paul addressed in the very beginning, that they are worthless. Because you see that Jesus Christ alone is worthy of our worship. See, our life means nothing without knowing and without being with Christ. So I ask, where is your confidence in redemption? We all feel the need to be redeemed. What do we fill the void with? Do we fill it with the things, the earthly things of this world, which Paul says are only going to lead us to destruction? Or do we repent of our self-redemption, repent of making a suit of fig leaves, and lay it all down before Jesus Christ, acknowledging our helplessness and clinging only to Jesus Christ as our Savior. What is your hope of redemption? And how do you evaluate your life? Is it based upon God's faithfulness, based upon God's promises to you in Christ Jesus that your sins are forgiven? Even as we struggle with sin now, 
that as we repent and believe the gospel that God is there to forgive and that we can be united with Christ is your hope your faithfulness or is it God's faithfulness in Christ Jesus our Savior who died and rose again let's pray God we come before you and we ask that you would do a powerful work in our hearts we all feel the pull and the struggle with sin we all feel the pull and the struggle of trying to redeem ourselves I pray that you would give us the humility to be able to trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior alone and that we can repent of our sins and that we can trust in your faithfulness forever. So God, work in our hearts and our lives again for your glory. May your spirit come and work powerfully to change us so that we can love you and glorify you here on this earth and forever, not because we deserve anything, but because, Father, you alone are worthy of all of our worship and all of our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.